Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. This week is part two of the most recent MK3D show, recorded live at the BFI South Bank in London. Last week, we heard from Riz Ahmed and Mark Gatiss. This week, we're going to hear from Reggie Yates, talking about his current release, Pirate, and picking a guilty pleasure. But we start with Numi Rapace, whose new film, Lamb, is currently playing in UK cinemas. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a front row seat for MK3D, live at the BFI South Bank in London. Coming up next, now this is great, because this is... Because of everything that's been going on at the moment, there have been a lot of things we think, will they happen, won't they happen, you know, we really, really lucked out this week. This is a trailer for a new film which is coming to uh, cinemas this Friday. It's very hard to describe, other than to say that it's strange and magical and weird, and I really, really like it. This is a trailer for Lamb. I may not always love you, but long as there are stars above you, you never need to doubt it. I'll make you so sure about it. Now, the film is brilliant. You will have noticed from that. I don't know what happened to the dialogue in that, but luckily, to speak for the film, here is Numi Rapace. Numi, how fabulous to have you on the programme. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I've, I struggle to describe Lamb. I said it's kind of magical and strange, and I've seen some people call it a horror film and some people call it... But how would you describe it? Um, it's a family drama, I would say. <laughs> it, it absolutely is. Yeah, it's a film about grief and healing and mending and trying to find your way back to life, even though you kind of lost something that it feels impossible to come back after. Um, so it's for me, it's a family story. It's, um, yeah. When you read the script, because one of the, the brilliant things about the film is it has that kind of fairy tale, magical, realist thing to it that 
you see things that are strange, and at first you're not quite sure that you've even seen them. Yeah. But very quickly you think, okay, that's fine. That's that's completely normal. And there is a moment in it in which a character appears and says, "What the?" And you, by that point, you've just complete not you. One has completely bought into the family relations. But how did that read when you read the script? How was that described? <laughs> well. Um so I got this package, um, the script, like a kind of strange lookbook with pictures, drawings, paintings from the director and a book of poems from the writer. The director flew from Iceland to my house in London with this package and went outside, gave me a package, went outside to have a cigarette. I was standing there, I was like, is he not going to pitch it to me? He's like, and then I started looking and it was like all these really disturbing, dark, twisted, beautiful images. And I was just sucked into the story. And then I called my team, it's like, I'm going to do this film. It's about a, like, a farmer, farmer couple in the north of Iceland. It's like no budget. It's basically a film about a lamb, baby, human baby. And they were like, wait, what? Sounds like the worst idea ever. <laughs> um, it's like on the paper, it really sounded like a terrible idea. And it was like, I think everyone was really worried how it would kind of be, how it was going to work out. And, um, but on the day, it was strange. I was like sucked into the world of, lamb and we shot it up in the north part of Iceland and it's like no phone signal. We shot with real babies, real lambs and I stopped thinking there was anything weird, you know. It's like after a couple of weeks I was, that was my reality. What were, what were the conditions like? I mean is it, I mean the landscape is astonishing, it's really breathtaking, it's not somewhere that I know. What's it like filming there? Is um, it rough? Yeah, it is rough. And, and um, I mean summertime it doesn't get dark so in the summer it's like total like daylight in the middle of the night so you start to lose your mind slightly and it's like you're kind of shooting and you don't know what time it is and you start kind of drifting between reality and some kind of scary I don't know limbo world and um, it's cold and raw I grew up in Iceland I lived there as a child and I have a very strong relationship to the country the country is almost like a character and some people get along with that character and some don't <laughs> that thing about being uh, daylight all day long. I know people who've experienced it, they say being dark all day long is a piece of cake. Mm. Anyone can manage it. Mm. But being light all day long is really, really hard because you become disorientated. For sure, yeah. Do you, do you, is it just something that you get used to and you just go, okay, that's... that's I mean, I'm a, I don't sleep much. I have, I'm like one of those that kind of have problems sleeping anyway. <laughs> um, so for me, it's awful. Like, I don't sleep at all. Like, if you get home, like, if you have night shoots, it's full on daylight and you get back home and it's like still day and it's like everything just start drifting. Um, but when, you sh when, when I'm filming, I kind of like to lose control and allow myself to to see where the character and the story will take me. And those kind of nature elements that really can just embraces you and almost swallow you, I just let it happen. So, yeah. We, we see you, it appears to be you birthing lambs in the, that is actually you. That is me, that is very much me. Did My you, first day on set. Okay, fine, so, did, <laughs> so did, had, had you done that before? You, no. You, oh, so tell us, how was it? Yeah. Um, well, I was, um, I was super jet-lagged. Um, I came from, I finished a movie on a Friday night in New Orleans, flew to Iceland, drove six hours, arrived like on a Sunday afternoon up like in this remote little village. And on Monday morning, I'm sitting in the smallest trailer waiting for the knock <laughs> when the uh, sheep mother was ready to, 
to give birth to the baby. So I was like, I saw the farmer do it once before, and then it was my turn. But that was it? You'd literally just seen it done once? Yeah. And I was like, just, uh, you know, in there. And like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. And it looks like it's quite hard work. It is hard. And it was like, my heart was like racing. And it was like, and it was so beautiful and so magical, but also brutal. You know, the smell is quite intense and it's really, you know, life and death. You see this little creature stand up for the first time and it's so fragile and so strong at the same time. And I was like, you know, kind of removing mucus from his face and helping it stand. And it's, it's you know, it kind of, that was my first day. And from that, it was just, that kind of opened some strange door in me and there was like no return I couldn't look back I couldn't think about anything else I was like swallowed into this world and that smell stayed on my hands for like two weeks <laughs> do you think of it as a horror film because I don't I'm a big horror fan but I didn't think of it I thought it was like a fable or like yeah. a fairy tale it wasn't no, I horrific I mean I don't I think it's almost its own genre it's did you ever see Border yes yeah I would say that it's like a sibling to Border almost. Yeah. Um, funny enough, I was supposed, I was invited to do Border and I couldn't do it. And then the same producer came and was like, okay, you didn't do Border, what about Lamb? <laughs> so it's like, and I can see that's like, it's in the same kind of um, cinematic landscape and weirdness, but I wouldn't say that it's, no, it's not horror. It's, I I thought it was really remarkable. I mean, I thought it, I was really surprised by it because I'd seen the trailer. I had no idea what to make of it from the trailer because it made it look like the Vavitch, but in Iceland. Yeah. And then when I saw the film, I just, I mean, it, it was like watching a fairy tale. And also because there are some special effects in it, but they never feel like special effects. No. Everything is very, very natural and, yeah. you know, great performances of the central trio. When you first saw the finished film, was it what you had expected it to be? Um, pretty much because, you know, every scene when Arta, um, my little girl, was in, I mean, we shot it with real lambs or, or, or real babies. So it was very, you know, we shot one take with the lamb and when the lamb didn't want to act with me anymore, we switched to a baby and it was like, it's kind of waiting. Riz, who is a beautiful friend of mine, and he's so good on stage. I was like, oh, I'm coming up after him. <laughs> and he's like talking about like acting with babies, uh, with children yeah. and how like remarkable they are. And like, you know, yeah, yeah. this, and I act with both like animals and babies, but he acted with like, like children, like 10 and 13 or whatever. I was like, mine was babies, babies. And yeah. that was like, it's hard. <laughs> you just have to put yourself to the side and lambs are harder. <laughs> Cause it was like, you know, it was this endless kind of waiting game for the lamb to fall asleep, for example. And it's like, everyone's waiting outside of the house, mini crews, we're like 30 of us. And then finally the lamb keeper is like, you know, kind of calling me and I'm like tiptoeing in. They hand the lamb baby over. And I was like, roll the camera. And it's like, camera is going to get action. And then I'm like starting to sing my little lullaby for the lamb and it's like open his eyes up. Bah, bah. <laughs> and I was like, everyone out, start again. Switching to a human baby, you know. So it was like this endless kind of just tricking them and making them kind of being, being with me. You said you came from New Orleans and one of the most remarkable thing about your career is that you the range of stuff that you do. Like you'll do a film like this, which you said fairly low budget and quite a grueling shoot. And then you're in a Ridley Scott movie and you're speaking English. How many languages do you speak? I mean, it's this rumor that I speak a lot of languages. I don't. I hardly speak English. I started speaking English when I was doing, uh, when I was shooting a movie, like, uh, like kind of in the middle of, of, right before I started Sherlock Holmes, I learned to speak English. So 
uh, English, Swedish, Icelandic, a little bit Danish, a little bit Norwegian, but they are like similar. You, no, they're not. They're quite. They're quite. <laughs> so, so that's five that I counted, and you learnt a language in order to do a movie. English. Yeah. 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 yeah but but it's um, I'm quite like I, you know I can mimic things I can I can co I'm a copycat <laughs> I was terrible in school but I'm really like if I can I can study your body language and how you speak and I can kind of adapt into it. Can you do me? <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> You're very straight. <laughs> Here's an interesting thing we have met before. Um, do you remember that when uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo? won the BAFTA for Best Foreign Language Film. I don't know whether you remember this, but it was presented by a fantastically handsome and eloquent... That was me. I presented that BAFTA. I was then cut out of the TV version, but I presented it to you. And I said at the time, this thing about, you know, it, the, I was very proud to present the foreign language film BAFTA because it demonstrated that film is a universal language, that people can watch films in any language, but for some reason Hollywood still feels the need to remake them in American because at that point Fincher was in the process of doing exactly that. Your career is an indication of the fact that you can work in all these different areas and it all finds an audience. I mean, this will find an audience because of you in the same way that, you know, that, you must be really proud of that. I'm, I'm proud of being part of a film community. I love films. Films were my oxygen when I grew up. I grew up on a farm, not a lot of money, no education, like far from knowledge and sophistication and awareness. It was just me and the animals and my parents and my sister. And then like once a week, I went down to the local gas station and rented a film for my own money that I made. And then I started like kind of my world just widened and I kind of felt like I had friends and, and like-minded kind of uh, outsiders all over the world. And I kind of started to connect to things through films. And to be a part of that, that I'm very proud of, so. Yeah. I asked you to choose a film that had changed your life and you chose something that really surprised me because it's a brilliant film but it's a tough film. What was the film that you chose? Nil by Mouth. Nil by Mouth. Tell us when you first saw Nil by Mouth. Um, I think I was in a place, I was like 19, 20. I was in a place where I felt like I'm a sociopath. <laughs> like I have no feelings. Like I couldn't feel. I was in this bubble of um, all my emotions were locked in and I, for, for quite some time I thought something was wrong with me and then I started realising that I was just so over, I felt everything, I saw everything and it was too much and I didn't fit in anywhere because everything just felt like people were just living kind of um, not honest lives, no one really said the truth I was like in this strange situation in my life when I didn't connect with anything and then I saw that one and it just broke into my veneer, in, like inside of my protection and shield and I couldn't stop crying and I felt like it kind of, it became like a, a, a bomb of life and realness. And for me it's like, oh wow, this, this can be made. There are filmmakers and actors like Kate and and Ray Winston. It's like, it was just so real. And I was like, I couldn't believe that it was a film. And then I was kind of obsessed with Gary Oldman already. I've seen him yeah. as Sid Vicious. And so I kind of, that was my, it became like a, a lifeline for me that it could the film could films could mirror reality and actually give no answers really but it could give allow us to see that this is also life and these is those are humans and and then I, my obsessions with films and characters is to understand like how why 
did you end up being that kind of person? Like, what drove you to that point? Why are you violent? Like, why are you so desperate? Like, and, and the performances there was just so heartbreaking and brutal and beautiful. Um, so it had a major impact on me. Written and directed by Gary Oldman, who said that he drew very much on his own personal family experience. We're going to show a clip. Um, I should say in advance that if you, if you look, for example, at the wiki entry to uh, Nil by Mouth, one of the things it points out is that the C word appears 86 times. <laughs> Nick has very carefully gone through the film to find a clip in which that isn't the case. Well done, Nick. Um, so this is a clip. I think what's remarkable about this clip is how natural this feels, how much this feels like you are genuinely watching people just living, not acting, just living. Belle spoke to the governor. She told him not to move him and that he was happy where he was. She told him this was going to happen because that Danny's been putting the word about that Billy's a grass. Hold up a minute. So the geezer that's done him ain't nothing to do with that Danny? No. So what are you talking about then, gentlemen? Who cut him? Look, you remember when he got arrested? This is Danny, right? And we had that raid. They turfed us out of bed in the early hours looking for them drugs, right? Well, Billy, to get his own back at Danny for that, has put his name in the frame this last time over some job he's done that Billy had nothing to do with. He's fezzed up on the lot. So they were going to rope him in, right? But Danny's a burglar. Billy ain't a burglar. He's a creeper. It ain't the same. So he's helped the old Bill, hasn't he? He's done a TIC with them. We did this, didn't do that, blah, 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 to help clear their books and mark Danny's cards, right? So Billy's been sent to the man, Danny's doing his bird in Wandsworth, so he's put it about that Billy Rena's a grass, right? So Mum knew it was going to happen. They, we got that phone call, didn't we, saying that they were going to cut his head off. That's why we phoned the governor. But as it goes, the geezer that cut him up has got fuck all to do with the Danny business. It's over something else. Yeah. Billy's got this mate, right, who's doing a 12 and a half. His girlfriend's turned up on a visit. They've had an argument over something. She says something like, well, you ain't the only one I've had it off with or something. And she's pulled Billy's name out the act. Lovely. Because he's known her for years, hasn't he, that Lisa? So this bloke's got the right fucking hump thinking like Billy's been giving her one. I mean, he's got nothing to lose. He's banged up for another nine years. It's nothing for him to kill someone, is it? So he's done Billy on the exercise yard for the thing with the bird, not the thing with Danny. It's got nothing to do with that. It's over the other thing. So he's done him with a knife, a Stanley knife, right? Now, what amazes me is how they get the fucking things in there in the first place. I mean, what's the geezer doing with a knife in the nick? No, 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 no. It was a moody thing, Mum, you know. It was like um, a toothbrush with a couple of them big razor blades band round it, see? So that's why Billy now is in the fraggle wing, you know, with all the weirdos. No, no. <laughs> see, he's been segregated for protection, no, no. <laughs> In there with all the nonsense and the rapists and that. Not me. Poor sod. Mind your bits. <laughs> <laughs> It is astonishing how well it captures that feeling of them all talking together. They all seem to be perfect natural. Kathy Burke is so brilliant as well. So good. So good. And it's this... She balances on this... I mean, it's so fragile and so strong and so real. It's like she... She's never a victim, but she is. It just hit me in the heart in a way that it was like... I couldn't get over it. And then, I mean, me as a Swede who didn't speak English, and this accent is, like, hard. So I had to, like, watch it again and again. First, it was just, like, the animal in me that connected with the bodies and, like, the way they spoke and the way they moved. But then I was like, I really need to understand what, what it means because it's, like, words and sentences mean something completely... I mean, if you just translate it, you don't, you don't understand what it means. Yeah, so yeah. it took me some time <laughs> to really get under the skin. But. Have you always had an ability with accents? 
I mean, I moved around a lot. I, I, I grew up in Sweden. My, my real dad was Spanish, but he was not around, so I had an Icelandic step that we moved to Iceland. And my mom said that I just switched from Swedish to Icelandic like in a month, and then I refused to speak Swedish, and I wanted to be Icelandic instead. And I kind of done those, I guess it's a survival tool. If nobody can check you, you can just make anything up. And it's like, this is me now, you know? And then it's like, you know, I kind of done those, uh, yeah. um, it's almost like an animal to just change its color depending on your environment. So, am I right? Correct me if I'm wrong in thinking that rapace is a name that you created. Yeah, I did. How did it come about? Um, well, I grew up in a family where it was like I was not really close to the name Norian, what I was born into, and they were like most of them was like alcoholics and quite depressing bunch of people um, and I just wanted to start something new and remove myself from that heavy backpack of like self-pity and like sadness and um, so when my when I got married um, and I was expecting my son I wanted to give him and use that something that he could carry with pride and like have his own name that meant something beautiful and that was not stained by the past and what does rapace mean? Bird of prey. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but I was also like 21. <laughs> but, um, but then when I divorced my husband, I was like, what do I do with his name? You know, I can't really go back to my old name. That would be like total loser, you know. And then I was like, and then I was sitting actually at Hammersmith shooting Prometheus, I think it was. And my son was eating cereals and, um, and he was like, Ma, do you know that I'm the firstborn rapace in the world? And I was like, wow, boom. That's wow. The, that was the meaning with the name. Wow. Yeah. But that thing about reinventing yourself, you know, choosing your name, ch changing your language, changing your identity, I mean, that, surely that's the essence of being an actor, being able to do that, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, from, uh, acting and, and the world, the cinematic world and universe is, is freedom um, for me. And it's like nothing, it can't be wrong. Honesty and, and, and reality and, and real emotions and, and life is embraced in all its forms and all its colors. So all of you is okay. And you could just be you and it's fine. You know, this world is so, we're so programmed to fit into a certain way of behaving or a certain way of looking. And it's like all this like, you know, are you, are you a winner or you're strong enough or you're beautiful enough or perfection versus imperfection. And, you know, the people with money can just like make themselves perfect. And then the rest is like kind of left on their own. And I was like, for me, films are, this divine universe of um, endless possibilities and freedom um, and changes that you can change and you can explore different sides of you um, in, in, and, and do it without anyone judging you. What's your favourite film that you've made? <sighs> Maybe Lamb, because it's the, probably the most honest film I've made. Um, and I went back to my roots. I did my very first film in Iceland when I was seven. But I'm like a kid in the crowd. You can't really see me. It's like, oh, no shit. But, like <laughs> but it changed my life. So, um, and coming back to Iceland and really stripping off layers of, I was like nowhere to hide. It was like it's very little dialogue. You can't really rely on anything else than just you have to fully live the character and 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 go into every situation without any um, any um, additions and just kind of going um, deeper and more um, naked emotionally and psychologically than I've kind of ever done before, I think. So 
maybe lump, but I find it hard to watch myself. So. Oh, you don't go back and watch your own movies? Not really, no. They're very good. <laughs> Thank you. You would enjoy them. So Lamb opens in UK cinemas on Friday. Go see it. As you heard, it's very hard to describe. It's one of those things that you have to see it to understand what it is. I think it's really remarkable. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Numi Rapaz. Thank you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. So, uh, very, you, you will have noticed, well, you will have known that, um, Stephen Sondheim passed away between the last show and now. We wanted to play something by Stephen Sondheim. And it's always a matter of choosing something that, you know, everybody else hasn't played. So we came up with this. This is our Stephen Sondheim tribute. It's the end credits from Paddington 2. I didn't need the West End after all. Just a captive audience. <laughs> what am I like? Guards, lock me up. The weight you have. <laughs> I don't know if any, any of you were here when Hugh Grant was on the show and he said, I don't know what they... He said they were looking for somebody to play a, a vain, up-themselves actor and they just asked me. I have no idea. <laughs> That's such a fabulous thing. Okay, so uh, we haven't done a list for a while. Um, Christmas is coming. New Year's Eve is coming. We decided to do a list of 10 movies featuring New Year's Eve, starting with at number 10. Have any of you seen Strange Days? Yes. Right. Here is a clip from Strange Days. I'll tell you why in a moment. At number 10, Strange Days. I need to get that coat off. Have you heard anywhere else? Yeah. 
Now, we're playing that because I think Strange Days has become a great lost movie. And tomorrow, I'm interviewing Rafe Don't Call Me Ralph Fines about Strange Days for, actually, if, we, if we'd thought about this, for a screenshot, you would have put bang up there, which is on screenshot on Friday on Radio 4. Okay, number 10, Trading Places, which we've included in this list because it is the inspiration for a film which is currently playing in UK cinemas. At number eight, one of the great New Year's Eve movies, The Poseidon Adventure. All happens on New Year's Eve. It's very, very, you know, New Year's Eve. Oh, oh everything's marvellous. Oh, dear, the ship's upside down. <laughs> Number seven, slightly miserablest, Sunset Boulevard, which is a terrific film with a very, very sort of downbeat attitude towards New Year's Eve. Number six, one of the most famous screen kisses of all time between uh, Michael and Fredo, The Godfather 2. Number five, the first of two Paul Thomas Anderson entries, Boogie Nights. Remember how the 70s ends? That's right. Shooting two people and then shooting yourself. And then this says, welcome to the 80s. <laughs> number four. Where have I gone? That way. Yes, number four, Phantom Thread. Thank you. I've lost track of my own list here. Thank you. Uh, number three, you know, for kids, the Hudsucker Proxy, which has got the fantastic New Year's Eve in which he jumps out of the thing and then he's thing and then he's saved and it's all based on uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Number two, when Harry met Sally, because that moment when you know you want to start the life that you're going to have with the person you're going to spend. I'm messing the speech up, but you know how it goes. I can't do it as well as Billy Crystal. But anyway, I love that film. Yeah. For the rest of the day, we are going to talk like this. <laughs> what is it? There is too much paprika on my pecan pie. <laughs> I surprised even myself then. And uh, at number one, probably the most famous New Year's Eve movie of all time. Shall we see a bit? Shall we see a bit? Let's see a bit. every Christmas. Cut. I love you, Miss Kubelik. Three. Queen. Did you hear what I said, Miss Kubelik? I absolutely adore you. Shut up and deal. Greatest last line of any movie ever, right? I mean, even more so than, you know, beginning of a beautiful friendship. And that, it's just the greatest last line of any movie ever. I once had the great pleasure of interviewing Shirley MacLaine, who, and I know you were waiting for me to get here, Shirley MacLaine is the inspiration for Chris McNeil in The Exorcist. <laughs> 
all roads lead to the exorcist. <laughs> and I interviewed Shirley MacLaine about the exorcist. I mention it only in passing. Now, when we started that list, Strange Days takes place on New Year's Eve 1999. And Strange Days was made before New Year's Eve 1999, so it was futuristic and it was looking forward to it. There is a movie that's currently playing in UK cinemas which looks back to the same New Year's Eve, in which it's a retrospective view. Here is the trailer. We're on pirate radio now. Bro, we've blown up. Can't believe you're not pirates now. We're leaving later. Meet me tonight, and that gets until we're sick. Hey, how? You got no money, no guns, nowhere to go. It's the biggest news Eve ever. Getting into that party is the only thing that matters. Boys, we're going on a mission. Probably the only place with tickets left. Wait, doesn't your ex work in there? We're not on the most amicable terms. You don't happen to have like four tickets left for twice. Yeah. I remember New Year's when I was 18. Galdam. Were you wearing then, kid? Hating <laughs> hey, on my wardrobe. Oh, your mum's a wardrobe. No, it is in fact your mum that is a wardrobe. Your mum's Narnia, bruv. Let me grab a large order of plantain. You mean plantain? Plantain. Plantain. Listen, Shabba. Plantain. Where you find that? On a mountain? <clears throat> oh. I think she's into me. The film's a real treat. Please welcome Reggie Yates. Is it great sitting in the theatre and watching the trailer getting laughs? It's the best thing. I was absolutely crapping my pants when you thought when you said you were going to play it, because I thought, if they don't laugh, this is going to be the most awkward 20 minutes of my life. The thing that was really lovely is, I mean, clearly I'm not the target audience, but I got the jokes and I thought it was really funny. Right. And afterwards I said to somebody, they said, did you get all the music references? I said, well, I got the Simply Red joke. Went, yeah, yeah, that's fine. So, you know, it's that thing about balancing the nostalgia for people who do remember the music and do remember that time and making it make sense to an old fart like me. <laughs> How did you manage that? Because it really does work, Reggie. It's great. That's very kind. Uh, well, first of all, it, it was about not sort of uh, engaging in nostalgia porn, you know. The last thing we wanted to do was sort of overload it with references yeah. and moments that are playing and pandering to the audience. Essentially, it's about the story first, but yeah. finding a way to sort of touch on those moments from 99. And it's the, th it's the story about their friendship between the three of them. Mm. And it's got that kind of classic, like American graffiti feel. This is the last time that they're all going to be in this particular world because they're going to go off in their separate ways. Obviously, that's something which is deep-rooted in cinema. Were you thinking of any other movies when you were doing it? Well, it's interesting because, you know, um, obviously Riz spoke really beautifully about La Haine, and it's not the most obvious reference, but that was the film that made me at 14 years old. And... Riz and myself were a similar age, and I also, it might have been on Channel 4, I've always said it's BBC Two. Give it up but, for Nick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Similarly. Um, 
I'm the child of West African immigrants, and like uh, you know, for any African immigrants in the audience, uh, you get a lot of chores. And my chores on a Sunday were to iron my mother and father. My stepfather worked for UPS at the time, was to iron their uniforms for the week. And I was there till the late hours on a Sunday, ironing their clothes. And then this black and white movie came on, and um, the kids in it felt familiar in a lot of ways, even though they felt really different. You know, there were uh, children of immigrants in, a, in an urban setting, and at the same time, this incredibly small but heartfelt story looked cinematic, and it yeah, looked yeah. and felt huge because it was really important to them. And at that point, I sort of thought, well, if I ever get the chance to do this, I'd love to tell a story that's equally cinematic but about the world that I know. Pirates looks really beautiful. I saw it on a big screen, and it's got really bright, vivid colour scheme. Yeah. And it's you know it's areas that that I knew because I you know grown up around that area, but they've never looked so bright. Yeah. And what I loved about it was bringing that cinematic air to roads that I knew to Tottenham. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but they never looked that good in real life. But in the film, they seem more. You know, it's like when you remember your childhood, it's brighter. Yes. And that must have been a conscious decision to make it. Pop. Yeah, no, uh, that was the word that, um, that I, I, I sort of briefed my DP with when we first started the process. And also, in talking to my colorist, Ash, I, I said to him, I want it to feel like an old photo. So yeah. uh, in as many places as possible, it felt really... I said Ash, I meant Jatine, sorry. Um, Ash was my editor. In a lot of places, it felt like we had an opportunity to really pump the saturation and really make it feel bright and make it feel vivid because, you know, memories can sometimes be that bit more um, bold than they actually were when you were there, which is why, you know, th that moment in the trailer where you see Sid the Snail from Tottenham, for anyone here from, from North London, you might have driven past that Tottenham Snail, which is the Eiffel Tower if you're from that part of town. <laughs> and um, I've had so many people stop me in the street and say, I can't believe you put that on the big screen. But for me, it was always a huge thing. And that was another Lod to Len, you know. Um, there's a sequence in, uh, in the movie where the, uh, the lead characters are sat in this playground. There's like a massive hippo, like a massive hippo in the, uh, the playground. Yeah, yeah. And they're sat on these bollards and there's just this really terrible story told by this little boy. And um, I said, that's just such a gorgeous tableau. I'm going to do that with Sid the Snail. And, um, and that's what we did in that scene. Have you been surprised by the positivity of the critical response? Because I haven't yet read a bad review of the film. Um, yeah, I mean, I try not to read reviews, but um, uh, people keep sending them to me, so I, like... I, I, but just I've been, but good reviews, people I don't yes. say, oh, have you seen this? Someone says you're rubbish. Yeah, no, I, I officially, I'm going to say this, and even though it's, it's incredibly awkward, I was officially avoiding yours, because if you didn't like it, it would have broken my heart. Oh, no. I know, genuinely, it wouldn't. I've been listening to you for years, and... Um, uh, I got sent it by about old. 80 people saying, come on, likes it. And, um, and, and you did like two. And it was seriously, just what happened? Genuinely, that's the truth. Um, I just didn't want to know what you had to say because I was like, if he craps on this, I'm going to die. But he really liked I it. He know. liked it. Thank I God. didn't know that was the case. No, genuinely, genuinely. And um, uh, I, I gained a bit of confidence off the back of that oh. to actually look at a few more. And um, it's been lovely. I think because in a lot of ways, Yes, it is specific to my upbringing and specific to my version of North London with, you know, UK garage as a backdrop. But essentially, like you said, with the, uh, the American graffiti reference, it's a human story. It's coming of age. It's something that we've all experienced. We've all had that clubhouse on wheels when one of our friends gets a car yeah. and suddenly you've got somewhere to go. You yeah, know? Yeah. And that's what it is for these boys. It was my Hillman Imp. I had a red Hillman Imp and that was it. My entire role in most of my youth was to drive the red Hillman Imp 
didn't, you know, I was in the car with people who didn't particularly like me, but I was driving the Red Hillman Imp. Amazing. It had a name. It was called Henry, and I was really, really fond of it. What was, what was your first car called? That was it. The first, first car I had that was, was yours. My, my, yeah, but it was my Red Hillman Imp. It was called Henry, and then it died very sadly. <laughs> and then my brother sold me, uh, I know you didn't ask this, my brother sold me a gold uh, Ford Escort, which caught fire on the motorway, and, and I put the fire out with my leather jacket, which five years ago I handed down to my daughter. Amazing. And she's delighted to be wearing a jacket that actually has got the fire of my dad's car that caught fire because his cheating brother sold it to him. Anyway. <laughs> that was amazing. Thank you. Now, when Riz was talking about La N, mm-hmm. okay, and, uh, and you were saying how much that had inspired you, yeah. and then you said, you didn't ask me to do a movie that changed my life. You asked me to do a guilty pleasure. And I was saying, yeah, but that's always the highlight of the show. No, 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 because here's the thing, all right? So I, I'm friends with Riz, and I've known Numi for a little while as well, and I didn't ask them before coming here what films they picked. And when we were sat in the green room and everyone was going through them, I was like, Kamode, you've done me, bro. You have done me. Because, like, Numi's got nil by mouth, and Riz has got a classic. And, and you've I, got... And I've got Romance in the Bloody Stone. Yes! <laughs> I mean, it's a great film, but you can't put this on after nil by bloody mouth, can you? Jesus Christ. Okay. I think you can. So, why do you love Romancing the Stone? What, what is it about the film that you love? Uh, do you know what? It's chemistry. I think you can't deny how special that group of actors actually are. And um, Robert Zemeckis is one of my favorite directors. And yeah. this was the film that he actually made before Back to the Future. So he was really in his groove at this point. And you can really feel that something special was going on with Danny DeVito and Michael Douglas. And it, it's just an amazing cast. And uh, I started out as an actor. Um, I started out when I was eight years old acting in, in TV and film myself. And I was never on sets that I really enjoyed. And I was never uh, in, in a happy environment on set. Uh, Every now and again, you would get a director that was fun, and you would have that moment where you're like, I wish it was like this all the time, and that was something that I really wanted to be the case when I finally got to make a film. And with Pirates, you know, the cast, they play Sunday League together now, you know, they, they see each other every day, they're best mates, and we had such a beautiful time because that chemistry was so important, something that I invested in prior to being on set and actually shooting, and you can feel it in the film. And when I watch Romance in Stone, I just, I want to be there with them, I want to hang out with them. You know? Okay, we're going to show a clip, I think, am I right in saying this is a clip that Reggie chose, or yes. did we choose it? Reggie chose it, good. Yeah. This is a clip, be- oh, I'm just checking, I'm just checking, because you've already told me that I've stitched oh, you up. Oh, yes, no, 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 so I'm being yes, very careful. It is a clip I picked. Here we go, here is a clip from Romance in the Stone. Ah, uh, señor, buenos dias. Necesitamos un uno para... What do you want, gringo? Oh, you speak English, oh, that's, that's great. Uh, we understand that you have a car. We would like to rent it or buy it. We have to get to a town. What do you call this I'm living in? A pigsty? Uh, no. No, no, this is lovely. It's... Hit the road. No, amigo, you don't understand. Uh... Hit the road. Senor, I... Vaya con Dios, gringo. It's cool. It's cool, really. It's... Okay, John Wilder, write us out of this one. John Wilder? John Wilder? Vision Wilder? 
You are John Wilder, the novelist? Yes, I am. I read your books. I read all your books. Come in. Esta es Juanita Wilder, la que escribe las novelas que le leo los sábados. Juanita. Le damos la bienvenida, ¿verdad, muchachos? Juanita, es Juanita. Come in. Adiós, Come in. amiga. I can't believe Adiós. you're here. John Wilder. Oh. I've been reading your books all these years. I'm so honored to have you here. I can't believe it. Welcome to my humble house. John Wilder. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry, I haven't introduced myself. I'm Juan. I live here. ¿Qué pasó? He's the greatest novelist. Get the door, please. Uh, it's great. It's great. I remember seeing it in the cinema when it came out. And I saw it, I think it was the Barnet Odeon I saw it in. And it was round about, you know, you'd had Raiders of the Lost Ark. And so the whole feeling was, oh, is it just going to be... A... But it's such a tonally different film to that. And it is, like you say, it's all to do with the chemistry. And I think Zemeckis is a, a, you know, a really smart filmmaker. But what's interesting is I hadn't watched any of it for a very long time until you'd chosen that clip. And that, that's now the fourth or fifth time I've seen that clip. And it gets funny. funnier. Yeah. And what's really funny is Michael Douglas's reaction. Yeah, exactly. When he says, John, he's, he's doing, it's like almost <laughs> Abbott and Costello level, levels of kind of... Great. It's fantastic. I love that film. So I, I, I'm a little bit younger than you, so I didn't see this in the cinema. But um, How old are you, Richard? We used to... Pardon me? How old are you, Richard? Uh, I'm 38. Okay, uh, I'm nearly so... 60, so you're more than a little bit younger than <laughs> So we used to uh, record everything in my house. My grandmother was the same. And we'd have these VHS tapes with everything on long remember VHS tapes yeah. <laughs> uh, with everything on long play and yeah, yeah. sort of meticulously written what movies were on there so on one take we had the three movies with everyone in them wow. so we had Romancing the Stone Jewel of the Nile which is the sequel and then War of the Roses which Danny DeVito directed yeah, yeah. which is not connected but it's the same cast and the chemistry's off the chart and I, I watched it over and over again when I was a, ki a kid there's a whole thing in War of the Roses about you know they had to put in the scene of the dog not dead Oh, right. Yeah, because yeah, she's spoiler, meant right, to have, again, yeah. then the audience said, you can't, you can't kill the dog, you can't kill the dog. So they had to just put in that completely random shot of the yeah. dog not dead. And I interviewed Danny DeVito about it. I said, I love that film, but you, you, it's just, you know, the dog is dead. And at the end of it, he said, OK, it, right, in your world, I'll kill the dog. <laughs> Do you think that um, your future is directing? Are you now happier behind the camera than you were in front of it, or is it... you? Is it both things? Uh, no offence, Numi, but it's a mugs game in front of camera. <laughs> it really is. No, I, I, I genuinely have, I'm, I'm really thankful for the, the career I've had. I've had 30 years on, on screen here in the, in the UK, and yeah. I, I feel incredibly fortunate to have done so many different things over the years, from acting to documentaries, presenting radio, all these different things. But filmmaking is the most sort of creatively fulfilling thing I've ever done, to have a kernel of an idea, you know, write the thing, and then, you know, a year or so later, have 100, 200 people working together to see out your vision. It's just so fulfilling right the way through to sitting in a room full of strangers, laughing at an idea that you had, you know, at dinner with mates, on the toilet, wherever it came. Suddenly, it's this thing that you don't own anymore that other people can enjoy. And, so many of my earliest memories are around film and to know that there is a chance there might be a kid that watches this on, I don't know, on some hologram or something, whatever it is, uh, at some point, and then, you know, suddenly has ideas about filmmaking. It's just, it's, it's incredible to me. So You sounded like more of an old fart than I did. <laughs> a kid watching, I don't know, some hologram. <laughs> no, but I, I think oh, it's, I know. for me, the most uh, fulfilling 
way in terms of expression. Uh, and documentaries was the closest I've come to being yeah. able to be myself fully and tell a story on screen. But uh, writing has been so much bigger for me in that You've got another one of these in the pipeline? Yes, I've written my next one. And um, uh, ideally, we'll be getting into it early next year. OK, so it's all happening. It's not a sequel for Pirates, but okay. it's uh, another film. And um, Called? Uh, uh, I'm not allowed to say any more than that, apparently. That's a long title. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> Thank you for laughing at that joke. Thank you. Uh, it's a good one. Um, yeah, so uh, it's something we're going to make next year. OK, very well, excited about. break a leg with it. So we will see it this time next year? Hopefully, or? yeah. It's, it's called Grift, so you know that I'm not just um, waffling. Okay. But um, yeah, it's, it's called Grift, and if all goes to plan this time next year. I really look forward to it. Congratulations on Pirates, because I said I really did enjoy it. I'm so sorry to have given you the heebies about worrying <laughs> about it, but ladies and gentlemen, Reggie Yates. Thanks, man. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Thank you. Right. Before we have to zoom out of the theatre. There's only one way to end a Christmas show, because this is the Christmas show of our sixth consecutive year, like this. I'll have a Christmas without you. I'll be so blue just thinking The coolest man on the planet. All my life, I wanted to look like that. What did you get? Richard Nixon. <laughs> Still funny. Um, thanks, everybody. Um, I'd like to thank my guest, Reggie Yates. Numi Rapace. Mark Gatiss and Riz Ahmed. Thanks to Nick. Thanks to Heather, HLA, and everyone at the BFI for putting this together. And most importantly, oh, thanks to Julie. Most importantly, thank you everybody for coming. This is, as I said, this is the Christmas of our sixth year. We never never had any idea that we'd have these kind of legs on it and we're absolutely delighted thank you for coming along stay safe have a safe lovely christmas we will see you in what's next year is it 2020 2022 we will see you next year in 2022 stay safe thank you for coming lots of love well, there we are. I hope you enjoyed that front row seat for MK3D, recorded live at the BFI South Bank in London. We do that show live every month. If you fancy coming along, why not go to the BFI website and check out the tickets? If you missed the first half of the show with Mark Gatiss and Riz Ahmed, don't worry, you can still download and listen to the podcast now. If you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to subscribe, tell your friends, and check out our Patreon page. That's it for this week. See you next week. Stay safe. Keep watching the skies. 